Fear is a powerful motivator. Would you agree to agree with that? <laughs> I didn't expect an amen, but okay, there we go. Um, in the film, The Dark Knight Rises, ever, anyone watch that movie? Anyone watch that one? Maybe you have. I don't know how you feel about movies and films and which ones you like to watch and which ones you don't. But um, in this particular film, um, the character Bruce Wayne is, uh, is uh, stuck in a pit. Remember that scene? He's stuck in a pit. He's frustrated. He's pretty exasperated with the situation. He's been constantly attempting and failing to climb out of this pit um, with this, this safety rope tied around his waist as he goes up and down and he falls and you're, you're like, oh, that looks so painful and his back looks like it snaps in two as he's falling. And he's so frustrated by this whole thing and he's venting his frustrations out to another of his fellow prisoners here in this bottomless, seemingly um, horrible, um, endless pit. And the uh, prisoner says to him, here's your problem. You do not fear death. You think this makes you strong. It makes you weak. So Bruce says, why? He says, how can you move faster than possible, fight longer than possible without the most powerful impulse of the spirit, the fear of death? And so Bruce Wayne says, well, I do fear death. I fear dying in here while my city, the city of Gotham, right, burns and there's no one there to save it. So the prisoner says, then make the climb. And he says, well, how? The prisoner finally says, as the child did. Remember, there was a child in there that escaped, right? That's part of the story. As the child did, without the rope. Then fear will find you again. Pretty, pretty powerful sentiment. And if you've watched the rest of the film, you, you know, you see that he's inspired by that. And so certainly he removes the rope, climbs out of the pit, and his fear of falling and to, falling to his death gives him the proper, motion, the proper motivation to make it out of that pit alive. The Bible reveals something even greater than death. The Bible reveals something even more great and more glorious, something even more transcendent and perfect. Um, the Bible reveals not just a something, but a someone. God. God is great. God is transcendent and set apart and perfect. We use the word holy to describe him. God is holy. And because God is great and God is holy, we must fear Him. Are you afraid? That's the question that I want to pose to you today. Are you afraid? Are you afraid like that? Do you have the proper fear and respect and honor and reverence of our great God who is holy? Um, we're looking at a scene today going through our series in Acts. We're in Acts chapter 5, and this is a scene that demonstrates that um, oftentimes, um, here's an example we're going to see, that we don't fear God as He deserves. That we don't recognize His greatness and His holiness as He deserves to be recognized. Because we lack a, a proper fear of God, we often drift then into hypocrisy 
or into sin or, or, or self-advancement and self-glory. The Bible's answer is to fear God, to pursue integrity, to pursue holiness, and to pursue glory, the glory of the only great God. So turn into your, in your Bibles or devices or you can follow along on the screen or if you're using a Bible in the pew, the, the page number is 913. It's page 913 in the Bibles on the chairs around you. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. Acts chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. And uh, as you're following along, um, I will read aloud. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Let's pray. Father, whew, what a story. Pretty uh, and encouraging and um, um, inspirational story. Um, God, help us. We, we really need your help. We need your spirit um, to give us understanding of this rather difficult story that you've placed here in your word. And we know it's there for a reason. And God, we ask that you will enlighten our minds and our eyes to see what you would have us to see. And God, send your Holy Spirit through us that we won't just walk away from here believing that this message is for somebody else. But God, that you will, you will um, teach us what it is you would have us to do and to believe in response to your word this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Because God is great and holy, we must fear him. To fear God we must pursue integrity. We must pursue integrity. Um, integrity in the... Um, I don't know if you have a good 
definition of it, but I, I looked this up in the concise Oxford English Dictionary. It's the quality of having strong moral principles. We say that man is a man of integrity, that woman is a woman of integrity. We usually mean they have strong moral principles, principles that guide their life, and we say um, they have integrity. Um, the other part of integrity is the state of being whole. Wholeness. Not incomplete. Not not uh, a part, uh, some part here, some part there. And, and honestly, and actually, that's really a, a more accurate view of what integrity is. A person who has integrity has his actions and his, his, his words uh, meld together. They're whole, they're complete. Um, we would say a person with integrity... Um, practices what they preach. Or we would say, he, he talks the talk and he also walks the walk. The problem here in this story is that Ananias and Sapphira, they lacked integrity. They didn't have any integrity. They were committed to looking the part of a generous Christian. They wanted to appear to be good. They wanted to appear to be holy and, and to, to be sharing their goods with other people. But they had actually drifted into hypocrisy. They said one thing and they did another. Look at the first couple of verses. We see it once again Ananias, his wife Sapphira, and this says that they sold a piece of property. Okay, they sold a piece of property. Um, if we back up a few, few verses, we see the example of the early church. They were selling property. They sold lands or houses and fields. And they brought the proceeds to the apostles and then they distributed it because there were a lot of needs in that time. And by doing that, they realized there are no more needs. We're meeting all the needs. This is wonderful. They had a great system in place. They sold a piece of property. And it says that with his wife's full knowledge... She was together with him. They agreed together to do this. He kept back for himself. He, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and he brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. This word kept back, I think, is... Uh, we, don't, we, we shouldn't just jump over that too quickly because on the surface, what it looks like is they decided to sell this property and they thought... Well, let's see. We'll, we'll be real generous. We'll, we'll give 50% of it to the apostles to meet some needs and we'll keep the other 50% for ourselves because we've got things we need to spend it on too. We've got, we've got bills to pay. We've got investments. We've got whatever we've got. So at first glance, you're like, well, okay. So that's what they did. Ananias and Sapphira. They did it. Well, the problem is that this word here kept back... Um, has an interesting usage throughout the New Testament. It's used twice here in this, in this passage, and then it's used once again in uh, the second letter of Timothy, where it basically, re basically it's usually transferred, trans translated excuse me, as pilfered, stolen. And then we go, well, let's see, where is this, where is this word used in the Old Testament? Maybe is it used in the Old Testament anywhere? And indeed, in Joshua 7, 
chapter 7, verse 1, right after the battle of Jericho. They go in, Jericho's defeated, Jericho is, is fallen down, um, Joshua fought the battle, all that. They walked around the building, or the, 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 excuse me, the city seven times. And then it says, but, but, they didn't keep faith with God. They kept back part of what was supposed to be devoted to God in that battle. The man who did that was Achan. I won't tell you his whole story, but I would, I would point you to go to Joshua chapter 7 if you want to see more about that. But here Achan is, um, had kept back something that had been promised to God. It had been pledged to God. He kept it back and things went really bad for them. Because the next battle came up and they said, well, let's go fight this battle. Let's go defeat this city. We'll do it. And they fail miserably. Their mission, defeated. And they come back in pain, come back with many dead. And they said, what's wrong? Somebody must have sinned. Achan, you kept back what was supposed to be God's. See, the, the implication here and the reason why Luke the author is using these words. He's trying to give us a little, uh, a little cue, a little, uh, a clue to to the fact that what Ache, well, excuse me, what I almost called him Achan, what Ananias and Sapphira did was just like what Achan had done. They had promised something to God. They had said, "Wow, this man Barnabas," versus. Chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, who we talked about last week. Boy, this man Barnabas, he's well respected. I mean, he, gave, he sold a field, he gave the proceeds, and uh, boy, he, he gets all this respect and all this gratitude, and maybe he got his name on a plaque, or, or he got a lot of congratulations, and, and now his esteem just went up, and now his, his uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? His reputation went up. And Ananias and Sapphira are thinking, that's, that's good. That, we we want to be like that. We want to be recognized like Barnabas. See, the problem is that with this hypocrisy, they deceived the church by giving, or excuse me, by only giving a part of it. By saying, we promise to sell our land and give it all to God. But they only gave some rather than all. So hypocrisy deceives the church, but it also, it also deceives self. If you, if you go down a few more verses with me, um, you know, Peter addresses Ananias, and then in verse 4, jump to verse 4, uh, we see that hypocrisy is, is really like self-deception. Because Peter says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain yours? I mean, you, you could have done whatever you wanted with this. You didn't have to pledge it to the church. You didn't have to promise to give it. And now, you're deceived. Essentially, what he's saying is, you're, you're lying to yourself. You actually believed that you deserved that kind of praise, that you deserved that kind of recognition, and you actually believed that you could get away with it. That's the kind of thing that hypocrisy does. It, it's a lie to other people and to the church. It's a lie to yourself. And it's also a lie or a deception to the Holy Spirit. And that's the, that was the first thing that 
Peter addressed when he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? How is that a lie to the Holy Spirit? I think it's this. When we promise one thing to God, when God, you've probably been here, when God will say, Michael, I want you to, to do this thing. And you say, yes, God, yes, I'll do that thing. You write it in your journal or on a note card or in a, in a notebook or you make that, you, you pray a prayer and you say, yes, God, I, pr- I will do that thing. And then you don't. And then a, a day goes by and you go, I, I forgot to do that thing. Oh, I didn't do that. I, I said, I, I testified to others I told, I told my missional community I would do it. <laughs> or I told my discipleship group I would do it. I told God I would do it in prayer. And then, and then we don't do it. We promise one thing to God and we do another. And that's what he's saying here. You've not just lied. I would add just because he, they clearly did lie to the disciples. But the impact of Peter's words, you have not lied to man, but to God. Hypocrisy deceives the Holy Spirit. Jesus told this, this story. He told the story of two sons. Two sons. And, and the father said, um, my sons, we need, to, we need work to be done in the vineyard. Uh, the vineyard needs some we need some, some work out there. Got to get some work done. And the one son says, No way, Father. No way. I, I've got other things to do. <laughs> I, I don't have time for that. I got my games. I got my friends. I've got my other activities. And he leaves. And the other son says, Absolutely, Father. I, I'm there. I'm yours. I'll do it. I'm the good son. I'll get out there. And the father says, Thank you. Thank you. He goes back into the house. And he leaves his sons. And the one son who says, I'll go do it, he goes out to the vineyard for a while. And he kind of looks around. And he thinks, well, dad's back in the house. Well, I think I'll take off. And he doesn't do it. But the one who said, no, I don't want to do it, comes back and he gets gets convicted about it. He says, you know, I really ought to be out there because my dad needs help and that work needs to get done. And he comes back and, and he does the work. The, Jesus asked the question to the people he was talking to. So which one of these was the good son? Which one of these was the, the son who obeyed? What was the one who actually went and did it? Not the one who said he would do it. Not the one who made all the promises. Hypocrisy, unfortunately, in the case of Ananias and, and his wife Sapphira, has deadly consequences. It has deadly consequences. As soon as Peter confronted Ananias, didn't call down a curse on him, Peter didn't say, you shall die for what you have done. Or, we're going to take you out and we're going to burn you at the stake. Peter didn't say anything like that. He confronted the sin. And then what happened? He heard the words, fell down and breathed his last. Deadly consequences for hypocrisy. Some people have looked at this and go, well, he, he heard this word and he was shocked. And he was, he was uh, ashamed and he was afraid because he had gotten caught. 
And so that psychological pressure on him, you know, probably stopped his heart and he had a heart attack just like that. Probably not. I don't think that's what Luke meant us to think. Because he uses this interesting word, he says he fell down and breathed his last. And the, and the phrase, is, if, if you recognize through the reading, that phrase is used two times here in this story. And it's used another time in Acts chapter 12, where the, the King Herod is struck down, and it specifically says, by God, and breathed his last. This is a, is a cue to us and to the reader that God was behind this. That God was the one who caused his death. That this was no accident, that this was no um, sudden heart attack that Ananias had, but that it was an act of God. It was an act of God. Ananias, part, this part of the story tells us that we must pursue integrity as opposed to the hypocrisy that Ananias was living in. As opposed to the hypocrisy that Ananias was living in. So let me ask you this. When, when we are tempted to keep back something from God, let me encourage us, pursue integrity. So what, what might that be like? It might be that God is saying, um, I want you to, well, maybe like Ananias, I want you to give something. Like he told Ananias and Sapphira, he, he said, hey, give, you've got this field, sell it. Give, it, give it to the apostles, give it to the church so that it can meet needs. But unlike Ananias and Sapphira, let's pursue integrity in doing that. It, it might be that he's saying, God is saying, volunteer your time. Volunteer your time for other people or for an area of ministry, maybe within the church or within our community. Volunteer your time. If he's calling you to do that, pursue integrity in that. Pursue integrity. Don't keep it back. Don't keep anything back. Give to God whatever he's asking you to give. Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's other resources. We, see, we may say we want to glorify God with our lives or with our, our resources or whatever. But what we're actually spending our money on, what we're actually spending our resources and our time on, shows us what we really glory in. The things that we spend all of our money and time and energy on, those are the things that we want to glorify. And it proves that we want to glorify God only with some or maybe with part of our lives. That's a hard truth. That's a hard truth. And that's for all of us. For every one of us in here, myself included. What parts of your lives does God want you to give completely to Him? Pursue integrity in that. But there's a second half of the story. The second half of the story is what happens with Sapphira. And, and, the, and it kind of shifts a little bit with Sapphira. And, and it shifts a little bit because it, we, we know that to fear God now, we must pursue integrity. But to fear God, we must also pursue holiness. We must pursue holiness. 
What we have here, and I'm just going to give you these statements, and then I'll show you where I, where I see them in the text. And that is, first of all, that sin, because that's what was going on here in their lives, Ananias and Sapphira, sin distorts our view of grace. It distorts our view of grace. Uh, what did Peter um, ask uh, of, of, uh, of Anan, or excuse me, of Sapphira in verse nine? If you look down with me at verse nine, Peter said to her, "How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? To test, in other words, to presume upon God's grace, to presume that if if I." do this, will, will God really punish me? Did God really say that if I ate of the forbidden fruit that I would die? Did God really mean it when he said he wants us to be holy? Did God really mean it when he said don't touch, don't taste? They presumed upon the grace of God. They, they believe that, well, because God is loving, God is merciful, God is forgiving that he'll just ignore our sins. They'll say, eh, no big deal. Kind of like grandpa. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. You know, oh, we'll, we'll repaint the table later. Or, you know, we can always have that repaired. Or I can always buy a new tool. Well, maybe your grandpa's not like that. <laughs> Some grandpas maybe are not like that. But the point being, God cares about the holiness of his people because he himself is a holy God. And sin distorts our view of grace. Do we begin to see grace as a license to sin? We see God as loving and God as merciful and God as forgiving. So we say, this sin doesn't really matter anymore. Let's just remove that sin. In fact, if we can pass enough laws in our country, we can just... We can just say any and every sin is okay in whatever context you want to define it. Ananias. In case you didn't know, Ananias' name, <laughs> it's not explicit here, so you have to do a little digging, but I did some digging for you. Um, Ananias' name means God is gracious or the Lord is gracious. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? It's kind of ironic, I think. I think maybe he thought, well, that's my name, so God's going to be gracious to me. So I can just do whatever I want. Sapphira, her name means beautiful. And I'm, I, she probably was a very beautiful lady. But ironically, they didn't live up to their names. Yes, grace is beautiful. Grace is beautiful. But sin, sin destroys. Sin distorts. Sin causes brokenness. And sin needs to be forgiven. Sin needs to be uh, avoided <laughs> as well. You know, it can be forgiven, yes. But God, when he calls us to himself, he says, run away from sin, repent from sin, and pursue holiness. Sin, so to sin distorts our view of grace. And, and for them, it, it also distorted their view of justice. Their view of justice. Yes, she goes, uh, uh, Peter says, so, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she says, yes, for so much. I think she probably thought, it's only a little lie. It's only a little thing. 
it's really insignificant compared to what other people are doing. And so we, we as, as followers of Jesus, we who gather in a church, we think, well, my sins are nothing compared to the people outside the church. The people who live on that side of town or the people who do this or the people who do that. And we start making, uh, making as if um, just God's justice doesn't really matter. And we, we fail, just like I think Ananias and Sapphira failed, to realize, to see that every sin, no matter how insignificant it is, is committed against an infinitely holy God and is deserving of infinite justice. Infinite justice. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin, no matter how small, is death. The wages of sin is death. So when we're tempted, when we are tempted to let sin control our lives, like it did for Ananias and Sapphira, how, how he, uh, Ananias um, allowed Satan to fill his heart, rather than being filled with the Holy Spirit, rather than allowing the Holy Spirit and, and God through His Word and His ways to control and influence his life, he said, I'll just listen to this other voice. I'll listen to the temptation to just scratch the itch, to pursue the pleasure, to get my way. So when we're tempted to let that happen to us, pursue holiness. In that moment, God gives grace. God gives power by His Holy Spirit to those who believe and are walking in Him to say, I want to pursue holiness. I want to pursue God's way. I want to pursue God's righteousness. We may think that our sin isn't as bad as another person's. So we go ahead and do it. Pursue holiness. We may think that because God is loving, that He'll just ignore our sin. So we go ahead and do it. Pursue holiness. That's what He's called us to. In Christ, He's called us to. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we commit sin every day because we don't fear God. We don't believe that He's as great and as holy as the Bible says He is. That's the truth. We, if we were to recognize how great and holy God is every day that will drive us to pursue holiness. We will want to pursue holiness. We, not, not from fear of punishment. Not because we're afraid that He's going to strike us down dead just like that. You put your offering in the offering box and, and it wasn't enough. And God's going to strike you dead and, you're going to, and we're going to have to drag you out. And we'll have the youth group do it. Because that's what they did. They had the young men. They called the youth group together and said, Hey, we got a job for you. Bury this guy. Not for fear of punishment. But because we pursue holiness. Because by faith in Jesus, we actually have the power of the Holy Spirit to live not, not as slaves to sin. Not, not because we have to. Oh, I'm just a sinner I'm just a human being. We all sin. I, you know, that's just my lot in life. It's my cross to bear to always sin in this way over and over, day after day. No, because we're God's children. We're God's children. 
pursue holiness because we love to please our heavenly Father more than our enemy. More than our enemy. So it's not the end of the story though. I skipped over a couple of verses. I skipped over a couple of really key verses. In fact, they're the most important verses in this entire passage. Verse 5 says this, at the, the end of verse 5, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. Verse 11 says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This great fear um, is this Greek phrase, Fabas Megas. It's kind of a fun one to say. So you, you know, Fabas Megas. Fabas kind of sounds like phobia. That's basically, the, it's the Greek word for fear. Fabas is fear. And so the fear of, oh, is a fear of spiders, arachnophobia, right? So there's a lot of phobias. We got a lot of phobias out there. It's fear. Fabas. Megas. What does that sound like? Mega? Great? Big? Powerful? Pretty awesome? Fabas megas. So, and you, you guys want to say that with me? Fabas megas? It's really fun to say. Go ahead, say it. Um, yes, I know, I know you guys wanted to... You, now you learned some Greek today. So you can impress your friends um, at your next party. Um, fabas megas. The fabas is that... And here's the thing. We think of fear... We go, great fear, we think of like um, fear factor or uh, afraid of spiders or afraid of the dark or afraid of heights. And yes, that's fear. Yes, that is fear. Um, but the, the idea behind this word in Greek was it is the product of an intimidating or an alarming force. Have you ever been in the presence of like, uh, like a Shaquille O'Neal type of person? And you're like, whoa, holy cow, this guy's big. Or, you know what I'm saying? Or you've ever st stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you've looked out and you went, whoa, this is powerful. This is kind of intimidating. And, and maybe if you're standing up on a, in a tower, I, I experienced this. I was in the tallest tower in Seattle last, uh, well, about a year ago in the spring. And... Went up, looked out the windows, and I'm really realizing how high we are. And I'm thinking, I feel like I'm going to get blown out the window. What if this window just, you know, and it's fearful, it's intimidating. We're, we're awestruck by it, right? That's the fear. You know, when we have great fear, this great fear wasn't, Oh no, we better watch ourselves. We could get struck dead too. This great fear was a, a great fear of God. A biblical fear of His, a fear of uh, His reverence and awe and respect and honor because God is great and God is holy. And it came upon all who heard and it came upon the whole church. That means it came upon everyone inside the church and outside the church. When they hear, heard this story, they thought the God they worship is a God not to be messed with. The God they worship is God to be respected and a God to be reverenced and a God to honor. In fact, if we want to fear God, we must pursue glory. 
We must pursue His glory. I, I know the word glory is not here, but that's what's implied here. That is the implication. That if we really want to have the proper fear of God, that we're going to pursue His glory. We're going to pursue God's glory and, and fear Him more than other people. We're going to fear Him more than other things. That's what the great fear was. We're going to pursue God's glory when we are in unity. When we're in unity with one another. Uh, if you'll look back, remember where we came from. Back in chapter 4, verse 32, it says they were, they were all of one heart and soul. They had everything in common. They were united. They had a united purpose, a united vision. And they lived that out among themselves. They lived it out. They had that kind of community. A community that was built on mutual trust and mutual concern that was threatened by the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. Their hypocrisy threatened to destroy the unity that would bring God glory. They also, they, they also their, their sin and their, their blatant um, disregard for God and His holiness... They're, they're presuming on God's grace. Their testing of the Holy Spirit also threatened the mission of the church. The mission of the church. The mission of the church was to share Jesus with both their words and their actions. But their sin threatened that. If we want to pursue God's glory, we've got to be united together in a community. But we also have to be on mission together. We have to be on mission together. If we are, if we are failing every day to pursue holiness and integrity, where's the time for mission? If we're just licking our wounds all the time, if we're pursuing our own agenda, if we're pursuing the sin that so easily entangles in our life, and, and that is what is defining us day after day after day, how in the world are we going to be on mission? We can't. We can't. But if we pursue God's glory in everything, pursue God's glory in everything. The, the disciples, they, they said they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were, they were sharing um, all of the proceeds with anyone who had need. They were on mission. They were on mission. We receive, finally, this, this little section. If we're to, to fear God, we must pursue glory. And, we, and when we pursue glory, we receive great grace. We receive great grace. This word, megas, for great. <laughs> great fear in verse 5. Great fear in verse 11. So I was looking at this passage and just meditating on it. I was kind of reading back and forth in Acts. And, and I saw how great grace was upon them all. <laughs> great grace in verse 33. As well as great power in verse 33. Great grace. Great power. That 
If we were to pursue God's glory in every area of our lives, what kind of power would be on us? What kind of grace would we experience on a day-to-day on -day basis? That's the good news here, folks. That's the good news. The, the good news comes with a warning. The warning of, of hey, if you want to live, as a, live in hypocrisy... I don't know, be warned. Hey, if you want to pursue sin and, and let that be the defining thing in your life, be warned. But the promise here is that great grace, great power is ours in Christ. Great power, great grace is ours in Christ. God was feared in this story. He received glory in this story. God is gracious Ananias' name, God is gracious. Sapphira's name, beautiful. Those are ours in Christ. That's what he offers us. When we pursue his glory above all other things. So when you're tempted to fear someone or something, pursue God's glory. Pursue God's glory. Replace that fear with a proper fear of God. You may be afraid to to share, share about Jesus with a friend that you, you have. Or worse yet, a family member. There's, there's nothing more intimidating and more frightening than sharing the good news with a family member who needs to hear. And risking, risking having them turn away from you. Remember what Jesus said? He said, follow me. You can't follow me unless you hate your father, hate your mother, hate your son, hate your daughter, hate your brother, hate your sister. That kind of, that kind of devotion to God, to, to Jesus above all other things. We may be afraid, but God says replace that fear with fear of me. Reverence me. Be in awe of me. Pursue my glory above anything else. When we, we should pursue God's glory also by being in life-on-life life community. Be in life-on-life life community. The kind of unity that God is glorified from. To pursue God's glory by also being committed to the mission of the church. To share Jesus with words and actions. That's the kind of thing that gives God glory. Pursue God's glory by receiving grace. From God through faith in Jesus. Through faith in His Son. Are you afraid? That's a question for all of us. Are you afraid? Do you have that proper fear? Are you pursuing integrity in every area of, of your life? Are you pursuing holiness as God's children? What would it look like if you were to pursue God's glory in every area of your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess that this is, this message is as much for me as it is for anyone here. God, I, I confess that I, I need to pursue integrity in greater ways. God, it's really easy for me to get caught up in in appearing 
um, just because I stand before the church week after week. It's so easy to drift. God, it's so easy to drift into sin and to presume upon your grace. Oh, we all do it. We presume that because you're loving and you're forgiving that we can just go ahead and sin whenever we want. But we're your children. God, you've called us to a greater freedom in our lives rather than being in, enslaved to sins. Father, whatever we need to do this morning, however we need to respond to, to, to come before you today, to make a decision to give all to you, to not hold back anything in our lives. That's what we need to do. You are our king. You are great and holy. May all we do bring you glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have a, a time we like to call this our invitation or a time of response. Maybe God is speaking to you about something. Um, traditionally, this is a time for you to come forward. Um, Jesus said, if you confess me before uh, others, then I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And so usually this, this is a traditional time for, for individuals to come forward and make a confession. Say, um, I need prayer about this. Um, I, God's speaking to me about this. He's, he's saying this to me. And I need to respond. I need to respond in whole and not just in part. Or maybe you need to come forward. Maybe you, you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you have never made a commitment to him. And you're saying, that's a great God. That's an awesome God. I, I need that. I need him to change me. I need him to make me a better person. I need his grace in my life. I've got, I've got sins. I've got hypocrisy. I need him to change me. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you need to make that kind of a decision this morning. Or maybe you need to say, I have trusted in Jesus. I have put my faith in Jesus. I believe in him. And yet, I, I need to be obedient and be baptized. We would, love, we would love nothing more than to share baptism with you. And to, to, and to bring you in, initiate you into God's family like that. How is God speaking to you? Would you stand with me? Stand with me right now. The music is going to play. I'm going to just be standing right here off to the side. And if you need to come forward and speak to me, I'll be available.